my name is Deanna Richardson. I am a recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is 1-14-14. Um, yeah, so my name is in the chat. My phone number's there. Um, I'm available for sponsorship. So if y'all have any questions or want to chat, uh, please give me a call. Um, so for me, I believe that I was an alcoholic right from the very start. <laughs> That's just my experience. Does that make me more alcoholic than somebody who drank moderately for years and years? No, um, it's just my experience, right? Um, I remember very distinctly the first time I ever drank. Um, I was between 10 and 11, somewhere around there. Um, I got into my parents' liquor cabinet and uh, me and my little friend, and we shared a half gallon of Malibu rum. And I distinctly remember the feeling. Uh, I was always shy. I was always, you know, the quiet girl standing in the corner. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't speak to me. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I was just that girl. Um, and when I drank, that stuff kind of disappeared and I felt confident and I was happy and we were laughing and we were carrying on. And I've always been tall. Um, I'm six foot. I know you can't tell on Zoom, but I'm a big girl. <laughs> and uh, and I put on my mom's bikini and we went to the pool and all the boys were talking to me and I was talking to them and we were laughing. Nobody thought that I was stupid and, and I didn't feel insecure. And I just remember thinking to myself, where has this been my whole life? Again, I'm 10 or 11, right? <laughs> um, but I'm like, why have my parents been hiding this from me? Because I felt like it made me the person that I wanted to be, right? It took away all of those things, those bad things that I felt um, deep inside my, my body. And um, I just chased that feeling. From that point on, I chased that feeling. Um, what I didn't realize is that, you know, I had the body of an alcoholic and what that meant was, um, when I started, I didn't stop, you know, that the doctor talks about it. Let's flip over to page XXVIII, two X's, V, three I's, if you have your book. Um, the top of the page says craving for liquor. Uh, down at the bottom of that page, XXVIII. What he says in here is the sensation is so elusive, right? And the sensation that he's talking about there is that buzz, that feeling good on top of the world. Nothing can touch me. I'm funnier. I'm smarter. I can dance better kind of buzz, right? <laughs> and that's the sensation that I felt and I loved. But what he goes on to say in here is it's so elusive. Um, and that's exactly how it was for me after that first time is I got that buzz. I didn't black out. I didn't throw up. I didn't do any of that stuff. I felt that sensation and I loved it. And so I chased that sensation, chased it, chased it. But what my experience is, is after that first time, I would get there and I would go, yes, this is awesome. Let's do more. Let's do more. Let's do more off the top, blackout, throw up, you know, whatever. Um, I could not stay in the sweet spot. Um, so call it. And I believe that's why I was an alcoholic right from the very start. Um, the doctor talks about on that page at the top, same page at the top is that we have an allergy to alcohol. And that second paragraph, it says um, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy and that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. I didn't know at that time that I was allergic to alcohol. I just thought... I want to have fun. And, you know, I remember being even in high school 
And, you know, you can't get very much booze in high school. So we would get it from our parents or our sisters or our brothers or whomever, right? We would get the little amount and we would drink it and everyone else would be drunk and it would run out. And I would always be the one saying, how are we going to get more? Where are we going to get more? Well, don't, we need more, you know? And everyone else is like, Deanna, like we're fine. And I'm like, no, 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 we need more. And so I would find some person to go steal some from the store with me or whatever. Um, and I was always that person, but they weren't like that, right? They, my friends didn't drink and get that really awesome buzz and get in that spot and go, I need more. They were satisfied with that, right? If they had more, sure, they would get drunk, but they didn't need it like I did. And, and I just always remember wanting more all the time, more, 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 want more, want more, want more. Um, and, you know, I didn't know at that time that that was the allergy, but it was right. And that started really, really early for me. Um, as a result of that, um, I had a lot of consequences, now, obviously being young and you know, drinking alcoholically. And of, of course, I shoved anything else into my body that I could that made me feel different. Um, I had a lot of consequences um, as a result of it, a lot. Um, I was in the juvenile penitentiary by the time I was 15. Um, I was locked up for about a year and my mom would come and cry to me and she would cry and she would cry. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you, you know, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just do the right thing? Da, 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 da. And, you know, being that I was young, people would tell me I was bad. You're a bad girl. You're bad for the things that you do. And um, I began to believe that. Um, I began to believe that I was bad because I didn't know any different. Um, did I want to really hurt my mother and have her come to the jail and cry all the time? Absolutely not. I didn't, I didn't want to. Um, but what she was saying to me, it just wasn't powerful enough to get me to stop. It says that in the middle of that same page that we're on, it says frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which could interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. Um, her message, her cry to me didn't have depth and weight for me. And the reason was, is because I knew she didn't understand. My mom is not an alcoholic. <laughs> she did not have like a crazy childhood. Um, she wasn't, I, I could tell she didn't feel internally like I did. She wasn't shy. She was outgoing, a beautiful, smart, you know, get up in front of everybody kind of woman. And I knew that she didn't understand. Um, and you know, I didn't want to keep hurting her, but that frothy emotional appeal, it just didn't do anything for me. Um, you know, uh, once I got out of jail, they sent me to, um, counseling and, um, I wasn't honest with the counselor. Um, it talks about that in the big book too, is like, we're usually not honest with counselors either or honest with anybody. I wasn't honest with anybody. I didn't really tell anybody the truth. Um, I wore these different masks, right? Whoever you wanted me to be, I was that person because I wanted you to like me. I wanted you to think that I was somebody that I wanted to be and not really who that I, who I was, right? Um, I wasn't honest with those counselors. Um, I lied to them. I made it, I made it up. Oh, well, I just did it that one time or, oh, you know, my parents really abused me and treat me badly, which wasn't true or, you know, whatever. I blamed it on anything and everybody, but it was never the alcohol's fault ever. 
Um, I was exposed to AA when I was um, 15, probably. And it was a bunch of old folks smoking cigarettes, talking about the war. And I was like, nope, <laughs> this is not me, right? I am not one of these people. Um, I'm just a young person and I'm trying to have fun and you guys are screwing it up. That's what I always thought. Um, and so fast forward to 18, um, I moved out, I moved cities and um, I was living on my own. Um, and I had dropped out of high school the year before and thought to myself, that was dumb. I should have never dropped out of high school. Um, I should have graduated because I was really close. And so having my own apartment, no car, um, drinking like a fish, I decided, um, you know what, Deanna, there's two things you're going to do. The first thing is that you're going to um, stop all the outside issues, right? Stop all of the other things you're doing. And you're just going to drink like an adult. That's what adults do, right? They just drink. <laughs> so that was my first decision I made. Um, and then my second decision I made is that I was going to put myself back in high school and I was going to graduate because I was dumb for not doing so. Um, and so I did those two things. Um, I didn't realize without the outside issues, I would have to drink a lot more to get the same effect I was getting from the booze before. And I started blacking out almost every time. Um, in fact, I remember thinking to myself during that time, like there was something wrong with my body. And I even considered going to a doctor and asking a doctor, what is wrong with my body? That is how delusional <laughs> my mind was when it came to alcohol. I can't imagine what the doctor would have said. He would have been like, well, how much are you drinking, right? But that was never a thing for me. Like it wasn't the alcohol. It's obviously there's something wrong with my body. I need to find out what's wrong with my body. Um, alcohol was never the issue. I didn't go to the doctor and ask, but I did continue to keep blacking out. I could drink two beers and blackout. I could drink 20 beers and blackout. I never knew um, when it was gonna happen. Um, I did moderate enough to where I could get up for school the next morning and I could go to school and I could get my day done. Um, I didn't drink during the week because I knew myself very well. And I knew that if I drank Monday through Thursday, I was not going to school the next day. And so I didn't drink. I didn't drink Monday through Thursday, but I sure drank Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Right. Um, I would stop midday Sunday so I could, you know, go to bed and get up Monday morning. But um, it was getting out of hand. Uh, it was just crazy times all weekend long. Um, I used my power of will, though. Right. I had really good willpower when it came to making the grades, not drinking during the week, doing what I was supposed to. And I graduated. And, you know, that was a huge accomplishment for me. It made me feel like, you know what, I'm not the weak person that people had told me I was when I was a kid, um, because they said that to me a lot. You're weak. You're, you know, you're bad. You're dumb. You're all of these things um, because of my behavior. And I proved to myself in that moment that I wasn't that person, right? That I could do something good, that I could accomplish something in my life. And um, I looked at that and was like, okay, cool. Um, I did it. Now I'm going to move on with life. And at that point I started drinking every day and, um, I could, I could drink every day. I got a little job and, um, that's what I did. And it got progressively worse, right? There's never a point in my life where I can look back at my drinking career and say, that it didn't get worse. It was always getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I started, you know, hurting my friends, my friends, no one would really want to be around me at all. 
um, my friends would say, Deanna, I can tell when you're in a blackout because your face changes, your voice changes, you're me, you, you know, spew hate and we don't want to be around you. And uh, I would just always say like, you must've done something to piss me off because I'm not like that. And I'm not like that sober, um, but I was always like that drunk. And so um, I lost most of my friends. I lost uh, my relationships that I was in. I lost most everything. Um, and I would just move to a different friend, different house, different whatever. And I kept hopping and I didn't really ever have my own place, my own car, my own anything. I used everybody because <laughs> I thought it was their responsibility to take care of me. Right. Selfish. Um, and I got my first DWI when I was 19. Um, I got locked up in the Austin County jail and I was there for um, six. No, I was there for three months. I got sentenced to six months for the DWI and I was there for three months. Um, my family left me there. Nobody came to see me. Nobody sent me money. Nobody helped me because they were done with me at that point. Um, I had already by 19 been locked up probably about 15 times and they were done. They're like, let her learn her lesson. Um, and I'll tell you the only lesson I really learned, um, is that I needed to be more of an adult and I needed to stop being this dumb kid. And so I told myself, okay, Deanna, you're going to get a good job. You're going to get a good car. You're going to get the man and you're going to get the apartment. You're going to get those things lined up and you're going to be okay. Because the problem is you're being young and dumb. Again, it's not alcohol, right? It's the cops picking on me. It's my friends not helping me. It's my family not supporting me, right? It's me being young and dumb. Was never the alcohol. Alcohol has always been my solution, never my problem, right? And so um, I did that. I exerted my power of will. I moderated my drinking. And I, by age 21, I was making over $100,000 at a job. And, um, I got the new truck, I got the new boyfriend and I got the new apartment and I was like, okay, yes, <laughs> right. I've done it. I'm on top of the world now. Like everything's going to be good. I told myself the last time I got out of jail before making this promise that I was going to get all of these things that, um, that I was never going to go to jail ever again. Uh, that was a promise that I had made to myself because that's what young, dumb kids do. And I wasn't going to be doing that anymore. Um, and so I didn't, I, after I got all of the things and I got the apartment, I got the job, I, I loosened up the reins a little bit on the drinking again. And I started drinking heavier again, and of course, progressively worse, worse, worse. Um, I'll tell you the story of my last DWI right before I got sober. And I don't remember this. This is what somebody told me. Um, I had, well, I remember this part. We, me and my boyfriend had went to the pool. We'd been drinking margaritas all day. We went home, had dinner. And of course we were sober after we ate. <laughs> so let's go to the bar. We went to the bar. I remember having one beer, maybe two. I don't remember anything else after that blackout. Um, the city that I had just moved to with this new apartment, they had a highway and it was a major highway, but it was a, it was a one way this way and one way that way. And there's no median in the middle right? Um, apparently five cars behind me called um, the police on me because I was swerving into oncoming traffic, swerving onto the exits because I was so drunk. Um, I was lost. I was looking for my apartment. I had just moved to the city. I didn't know where I was. Um, and apparently I was like one exit away from my apartment. 
had no idea where my apartment was. I get pulled over by the policeman. He pulls me out, gives me the drug test. Obviously I fail. I'm in a blackout, puts me in the back of the cop car. And the first thing that I remember is crying in the back of the cop car. Why am I crying? This has happened to me many times before. I've been to jail a lot of times. I'm not upset about that. I'm crying because they're arresting my boyfriend. And my boyfriend has no idea that this is the real me, right? He's only seen the girl that makes $100,000 a year. That's the adult that has all of these beautiful, nice things. He hasn't seen this girl and I'm upset. And I get down to the police department and it just so happens that my parents' neighbor is the Denton County Deputy Sheriff there. And he's a tall man and he's yelling at me in the middle of the police station. You're so smart. You're so beautiful. How could you do this? You could have killed yourself. You could have killed somebody else just yelling at me. And I'm humiliated. I am absolutely humiliated in that moment um, because he's right. How did I get here? I said that I was never going to do this ever again. I have great willpower, right? I've done all of these really great things. I've pushed myself to become this amazing adult and I didn't understand it either. Why was I here, right? Let's flip over to Real Numbers, page 24. And they're going to describe this in the italicized paragraph. So it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. I lost the power to choose whether I would drink or not. If you're questioning right now, have I lost the power to choose? Are you doing this? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Because right before I quit drinking, that's what I was doing, right? I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing, but I was doing it anyway. No choice. It says our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. I didn't realize that my willpower when it came to my life, even though that was really good, that had nothing to do with my alcoholism, right? I don't have willpower when it comes to alcoholism all the time, alcohol, right? Practically means sometimes I do. Sometimes I can pull up the reins. Sometimes I can moderate enough to get what I want, but not all the time, right? It says we're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness, consciousness is my mind, with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, we're without defense against the first drink. That night in that jail cell was humiliating. Um, my man did not know this is the person that I was before. Um, I did not understand why I was there and why this had happened. Um, I was embarrassed that I got yelled at in the middle of a police station by the, by the sheriff, right? Um, he let me out the next day because, you know, he's friends with my parents. And I walked home, like, walk of shame, right? I looked crazy, I'm sure. And I felt terrible. And it was cold. And I walked home. Um, I get back to my house and I go to sleep and I want to give y'all a guess at the first thing that I thought about when I woke up, okay. a drink would be nice, right? What did that sentence just say with sufficient force? I can't bring the suffering humiliation of even a, a week or a month ago. What about the night before? Right. 
I couldn't even remember the suffering and humiliation that went along with the night before his experience. When I woke up, you know what my brain told me? My sick mind. It said, Deanna, that cop was picking on you. What an asshole. You were one exit away from your apartment. He couldn't take you home. That's just messed up. And your parents' neighbor yelling at you? I mean, what an a-hole, right? How could he embarrass you like that? You're a great driver when you're drunk, by the way. You're a great driver. I don't know what they're talking about. Those people who called on you, they don't know what they're talking about. You're a great driver when you're drunk, right? If my only problem was my body, this allergy of my body, I would just stop drinking, right? I would just stop drinking and I would never go back and I would be cool. But that's not my biggest problem, right? And I didn't know that. My biggest problem is my mind. My sick mind that continued to tell me this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to be different. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's the police officer's fault. It's whatever, right? I don't have defense against the first drink because of this. This thing that keeps lying to me, that town that I got an apartment in, it was a college town. And um, what did my mind tell me? The first thing my mind told me is, well, Deanna, it's because you're driving and you're drinking. You should not drive. You should walk. <laughs> and so I got an apartment by a bar and I walked to the bar. <laughs> Apparently, you have to be able to walk home from the bar as well. P.I., right? <laughs> Um, you know, the next thing my mind told me is, you know what, Deanna, uh, it's the college town, you know, a lot of college kids drink in a college town. Um, you should move to not a college town and you should get out of that college town. Right. Um, I didn't hang out with college people. I didn't go to college. I never went to college parties. I rarely went to college bars, <laughs> but this is my sick mind giving me the excuse. It's the college town. I moved out of that city. Guess what I did in Dallas? Drank, right? Um, you know, my mind was giving me any excuse that it could possibly think of um, to get me to believe the lie. And what's the lie? This time it's going to be different, right? It's not the alcohol. It, it can't be the alcohol. I never, ever believed it was the alcohol until I tried to quit. Right. So in the doctor, back in the doctor's opinion on that page that we were on before the craving for liquor page, um, or sorry, the next page, uh, page XXIX, it, it explains the cycle that I get into. Right. Um, and when somebody explained the cycle to me, I just was like mind blown because at that point, I just thought I was weak willed. Um, I was a bad person. Um, I made bad decisions. I was behaving badly and I just couldn't be good. Um, when I went to AA for the first time, they didn't tell me that. What they told me is I was a sick person and I needed to get well. And I was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> right? Because I had felt bad since the time I was a little, little girl trying to be good, but I'm a not, I'm not a bad person trying to be good. I'm a sick person and I need to get well. And that just gave me so much relief. It took those rocks off my shoulders. It took that, you know, pain out of my heart. And I was like, okay, I'm sick. Right. But I needed to know what was I sick from? 
And so when I looked at the steps and it said, um, step one says that we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. I didn't understand why I was powerless over alcohol at all. Um, I thought, you know, the group that I went to, bless their hearts, um, they tried to help me. They told me what they knew about AA and about the program and about um, recovery, but they didn't go out of the book. It was a fellowship group group only. <laughs> nobody opened a book. Nobody told me to read a book. Nobody really talked about the book, right? Um, and what they told me is I was powerless over people, places, and things. And my life was unmanageable because I was going to go to jail, um, because I, you know, was having problems keeping my job, because I was on probation, because I was all of these things. And that kind of made a little bit of sense to me, but it didn't make all the sense. Um, Cause I was 21 when I first got to AA and um, you know, there was a bunch of old timers in there talking about divorce and homelessness and, you know, all of these consequences that I had not experienced yet. In fact, some of those old timers looked at me and said, what are you doing here? I, I, I spilled more than you drank. But one thing that I knew for sure in my heart of hearts is when they talked, they were speaking my language, right? Um, their experience, not with the consequences, because I had had a lot of consequences up to that point. Maybe they didn't all match up with the people that were there, but a lot of them did. Um, what really matched up for me is when they honestly, honestly wanted to just have a couple of drinks or they never wanted to drink again. They couldn't pull that off. Right. And I was like, man, that's me. Um, that last DWI, the judge looked at me and he said, Deanna, you can never drink again ever. And I was like, what? Like, why don't you tell me don't breathe? Same thing. I could not imagine my life without alcohol. Because remember, I thought alcohol made Deanna Deanna. I thought that I couldn't be Deanna with alcohol, without alcohol. Alcohol was my solution to this that's in here. Um, and so I was like, what do you mean? I can't drink like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, you know, going into this group, into this AA group and finding out that, man, I think the way these people do, and I drink the way these people do, but my experience in my life doesn't match up with theirs, you know? And so I was kind of confused. Um, and it wasn't until somebody pointed out to me um, that the book was the solution, <laughs> not the fellowship, um, and that I needed to get a sponsor who took me through the book because the book was an instruction manual. I had no idea. Um, and, you know, I was able to finally see this cycle that the doctor talks about, and I was 100% able to relate to it. And it wasn't until somebody broke this cycle down for me that I was able to know my truth, right? So I'm going to break that down for y'all really quick. So um, on, it starts on the bottom of page XXVIII. It says they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Um, I love that because I don't even need to have the drink to get the ease and comfort, right? I can be on my way to the liquor store and get the, right? And I see my friends and my family taking these drinks with impunity. And I think, well, why can't I do that? 
my mom's not an alcoholic and she gave birth to me. Why can't I be like my mom? My mom drinks one glass of wine. Her little face turns red. She's like, I'm feeling it. And she's done. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, why can't I be like that? Why can't I be like that? Except I bought the box and not the bottle of wine. <laughs> one glass was great. And when my face turns red and I'm feeling it, it's on for me. That's not the stopping point. Um, so it says, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So what's the cycle? The cycle is I get restless, irritable, and discontented. What's my best definition of that? Itchy, bitchy, and twitchy, right? I'm just um, itching in my own skin. Everything pisses me off, and nothing's good enough for me, right? I get into that state, and what happens my mind starts talking to me, right? My broken brain. And what does my broken brain say? It says, Deanna, you know what fixes this? It's, it's alcohol, right? And I believe the lie. Why? Because my mind keeps me safe in every other aspect of my life. My mind says, Deanna, don't put your hand on the hot stove. I believe it. Why? Because it's right. I'm going to get burned. My mind says, don't walk out on a highway. You're going to die. I believe my mind because it's right. So why wouldn't I believe my mind when it says this is a good solution or it's going to be different? And I do. I believe that lie that my mind tells me. I put alcohol inside my body, right? I have that allergy. It sets off that phenomenon of craving. And this craving is not like I have for anything else. This craving is insatiable. I can never have enough once I put it in. And so what happens when that craving gets going? I get drunk, right? And then a consequence happens, some type of consequence. It could be a small one. It could be a big one. We all have different consequences. The consequence isn't what makes me an alcoholic. Um, you know, jail didn't make me alcoholic. It makes me crazy when I'm drunk, right? But something happens and I emerge remorseful so remorseful. How many times have I said, I'm never doing that again? I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing it again. And I mean it. And I make that firm resolution, right? Whatever that firm resolution is at first, not don't. Drink. At first it's, you know, don't drink before five. Don't drink at work. Don't drink at the family gathering. Don't whatever, right? I make that resolution. And then, then this happens to me again, restless, irritable, and discontented, right? My mind talks to me again, make me to believe the lie. Because is the lie that alcohol is going to make it, or, or is the thought that alcohol is going to make it better a lie? Yes, it is. Have you ever woke up from a relapse and thought to yourself, man, I feel awesome. I'm so glad I drank last night. <laughs> I never have. Every single time I wake up, the problem's bigger and it's always worse, right? Even the thought that alcohol is going to make it better, it's a lie. It never makes it better, but I believe it. I put the alcohol in my body, allergy, craving, drunk. An even worse consequence happens. I emerge even more remorseful. And this time my resolution is I'm never drinking again. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And then this happens to me again. Right. And my mind talks to me again. And here I go. 
right? This is me trying to use my mind and my body to overcome alcoholism. It doesn't work. What he goes on to say in the next paragraph is that I'm doomed. I'm doomed to repeat this cycle for the rest of my life left up to my own devices. I'm like a dog chasing my tail over and over and over and over again, right? Let's go to that next paragraph. And it says, on the other hand, and as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. What are the rules? 12 steps. Right. Um, what my experience is, is, once I got a sponsor that worked me out of the book and I had a spiritual awakening as the result of doing the steps, that mind piece, that obsession, that lie, God took that away. Right. If God takes away the mental obsession, do I ever have to put alcohol inside my body ever again? No. If I never have to put alcohol in there, that allergies never set off, the cravings never set off. I never have the consequence. I don't have to emerge remorseful and there's no more firm resolutions anymore. Now, the question is, am I gonna get restless, irritable and discontented in sobriety? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely I am. So I need something to fill that spot, right? That empty spot, what fills that spot? It's God right? It's my higher power. It's, um, you know, step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to the sanity. It's me having some hope and taking some action, right? That gets me recovered. I said recovered at the beginning of the meeting and I meant it. I am recovered from alcoholism because I don't think about drinking and I don't think about not drinking. It's not an issue for me anymore. Am I always going to have that allergy of the body? Yes, I am 100%. That's always going to be a thing. But if I stay restored to sanity, and I don't do that on my own, by the way, I didn't restore myself to sanity. I worked the steps and God did that for me. If I continue to do 10, 11, and 12 in my life, I'll never have to put alcohol inside my body ever again. The best example I can think about is somebody who's allergic to strawberries, right? Do people who are allergic to strawberries go to Strawberries Anonymous? <laughs> are they scared to walk down the strawberry aisle at the grocery store? Do they think a strawberry is going to jump out of the shelf and slide down their throat? No, because they're not insane when it comes to their strawberry allergy. They know they can't put it inside their body and they say no and they watch what they put inside their mouth. I'm that person today right? That's what recovered means. God has restored my brain to sanity. And today when somebody pushes a shot my way, I go, <laughs> oh no, bad shit happens, right? I don't choose whether I drink or not today. God makes that choice for me, but I do choose to do the program, right? The 12 steps. So that's what happened. I worked the steps. God restored my brain to sanity. And I would love to tell y'all that I stayed sober ever since I first tried it when I was 21, um, but that's not true. <laughs> I'm 38 today and I've been sober for uh, eight years, uh, almost eight years. 
Um, and what happened was, is I got away from that program. I got away from the 12 steps. I got away from all of the things that I knew were working for me. And that obsession and drink came back and the lie came back, except for this time, the lie was different than when it was, you know, before I came to AA this time, the lie, it didn't say that it's going to be different this time. What the lie said is Deanna, you don't have any other choice you have to drink. How are you going to fix all of these emotions inside your body? You don't have God, you don't have a sponsor and you don't have the program because I got completely away from AA. Um, and I believe that lie and I drank. Um, I thought for a long time that if you could stay away from alcohol and not drink for an extended period, that means you're not alcoholic. Um, I didn't drink for a year and a half once I left AA. Um, but what the truth is, is is that I can stop as an alcoholic. I just can't stay stopped, right? There's always that day that's gonna come where my sick mind is gonna tell me the lie again, right? It didn't tell me it was gonna be different, but it told me that it was gonna fix that feeling in my body. Did it fix that feeling in my body? Absolutely not. <laughs> I woke up after that relapse and it was 10 times worse. That night when I drank, did I drink like a normal person? No, I drank 10 times worse than I drank the seven years previous to that. My alcoholism is constantly getting worse. I am a chronic, real deal alcoholic. What I learned with that relapse is that um, I am always going to drink no matter what forever left up to my own devices, left up to my own mind and my own body. There will come a day when I will drink again without spiritual help. I know that that's the truth for me. Um, today, uh, my life is amazing, right? I get to uh, raise my brother's kids. Um, I got to take three of them six years ago, and I still have two in the house. And I could have never, ever done that without God and this design for living. Um, I get to have an amazing relationship uh, with my you know, wonderful man and we get to be happy, joyous and free together. And I never was able to do that before, right? Um, I have a, my family is, supports me, they're there for me. Um, I bet if something bad happened, they would be there for me today. And that wasn't the case back in the day. Right. They weren't there for me because I, I just hurt them so much. Um, you know, my life with my creator today is so great um, that, you know, I have the answer to all the problems. Um, you know, I took alcohol out and God became my solution. Um, I could continue my solution today. He gives me the opportunity to do what I'm doing right here, right now for all of y'all. Um, spreading hope, uh, spreading love, uh, spreading all of the things um, that um, the program gives me um, is the freedom, the joyousness, and, um, you know, just life, life. Back. Um, I often think about, you know, what did I want from drinking? Um, and what I wanted from drinking is to feel confident, to feel smart, to feel pretty, to know who I am. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm sure you can tell <laughs> by this whole time, me speaking to you, looking you in the face, head up, chest up, is that I am that way today. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. 
and everything to do with God. Me, the girl who stands in the corner at me, don't talk to me, don't whatever, speaking to like people, that was not a thing. That's That was not in the cards for me. Um, and today I get to do that. Um, I get to be um, the, the carrier for God's message. And um, it's truly an honor to speak for y'all today. And uh, let's see, 751. Um, if y'all just sign up for a Q&A right here at the end, if y'all have any questions for me, thank you so much.